the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Hello, welcome to another exciting episode of the Worldview Media Podcast. My name is Gordon Runyon. I'm your co-host. And with me is a woman who tragically lost her husband in an Indian raid out on the wild frontier. Oh no, I didn't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, this is my wife Joyce, and uh, she's on the verge of death. She's got the consumption. I've got the consumption. <laughs> he doesn't help me out any, as you hear. That's what love will do for you. I'm, I'm, I'm raising your morale in your sickness. <laughs> so I can't breathe or function. A plague of flu has captured our small town. <laughs> And so Joyce probably won't say very much, but... uh, But I'm here. (laughs) She's here. Uh, We want to talk today about the AMC original series, Hell on Wheels. Hell on Wheels. Yeah, now Joyce doesn't know anything about this. She's never seen an episode, so I'm just going to kind of tell her about it and walk her through it. It has taken me a number of months, but I've finally watched season one of Hell on Wheels. So what is Hell on Wheels? It's a good old classic kind of western. Really? Set in the immediate aftermath of the war between the states. And the hero, or the anti-hero... Anti-hero. Is... Cullen Bohannon, he was, he was a, I believe he was an officer. Was he an officer? Anyway, he was. But is he a gentleman? He was a leader of men in the Confederate Army, which is kind of unusual for Hollywood. Yeah, have that be a lead nowadays, anyway, where uh, they have the hero guy be a somebody who actually fought and killed Yankees during the. Uh, during the war, Northern aggression. <laughs> and so, uh, Cullen Bohannon is a former Confederate soldier, like I say, a leader, pretty successful in what he did. Now they, they make sure, you know, he's not really a bad guy. I mean, he's from the South and everything, but he's not really a bad guy because... He was just living in the wrong area. <laughs> well, they, we find out he actually owns slaves, and uh, which was also kind of a bold move for Hollywood anyway. Huh. But that at some point he married his wife, and she was a very good and decent person, and she convinced him to... Renounce all things. Yeah, to kind of renounce holding slaves or owning people and... And so what he did was he set his slaves free. He didn't have a lot. He had a little handful of slaves. 
mm-hmm. but he set them free and started paying them wages if yeah. they wanted to stay and work for him. Yeah. Well, while he's fighting in the war, northern soldiers come through and kill everybody in his family, including at least one of the former slaves who had decided to stay and be part of the family. And pretty brutal, pretty gruesome, and it's got to be. It's a classic Western, and it mm-hmm. depends on you understanding that Cullen Bohannon is... is bent on revenge and so in the first couple of episodes he's looking for the men who actually did these things but he knows it was northerners oh yeah yeah it was the yankees for sure (laughs) and so he's tracking them down and one by one he's taking them out oh no yeah now this colin bohannon he's an actor named anson mount and i'm not sure we've seen him in anything but the way they have him made up, if you can picture him, he's he's kind of a cross between, kind of a mixture. He looks a little bit like Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, mixed with a little bit of Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead, uh-huh. in a in a black, mostly black sort of cowboy gunslinger <laughs> outfit. So he's got a little bit of that vibe going on, almost a Rick Grimes sort of thing. Uh, handsome dude and he's got this ability to just kind of always look brooding and mm-hmm. and kind of Clint Eastwood like in that that he doesn't have to say very much for you to know what's going on in his in his thought process and stuff like that and so in his quest to find the men who raped his wife and murdered his family he finds himself on the leading edge of, of uh, I don't want to say the wrong railroad, but it's the railroad as it's pressing out to make its way to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And the little railroad shanty town, or it's really kind of a, not much more than a tent city. It's the the western edge base of railroad building operations. And this little town is called Hell on Wheels. And so it works out that Cullen Bohannon finds his way into working for the guy who owns the railroad. Uh-huh. And he's working as a foreman and trying to get everybody to build this railroad and all that. And they've got deadlines to meet and, and stuff like that. So the tension comes from the fact that he is actively seeking to find the people who murdered his family and all that. And the owner of the railroad is uh, Chief O'Brien from Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Call Meany, mm-hmm. <laughs> and his name is Mr. Durant, and he's he's a bad guy. Yeah, he's, he's mean. Is he a well, mean Irishman? Not, I don't. He doesn't strike me as overtly cruel, but he's just the stereotypical uh, greedy, uh, greedy businessman. Yeah. Gives all capitalists a bad name, that sort, and he's willing to kind of. Use people up as he, as he as needs he to presses forward yeah. with the railroad building, 
And uh, there's a worldview issue that I think is kind of fun. I'm not sure they knew they were exploring it, but in this town of Hell on Wheels, there's no civil government. It's just a town that's been set up by the railroad builders. Uh-huh. And so you have some business people who have gone out to try to be entrepreneurs and meet needs of the people. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, well, how's that going to work if you don't have police and you don't have, you know, you don't have government doing all this no, stuff. People have guns though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then another bad guy is, is Durant's head of security. So he's a privately hired security guy. Uh-huh. And he kind of functions then as constable over things. If anybody gets out of hand, he's the one that takes care of it. And he's an interesting character. They call him the Swede. The Swede. Yeah, but he's really Norwegian. <laughs> so he doesn't like his nickname and he doesn't like it when they call him the Swede because he's Norwegian and he has a funny accent. And, and uh, Who is that? He's a big, tall, goofy guy. And uh, he kind of looks like Lurch. Ooh. From way back when, yeah, and because uh, I'm not dark haired, <laughs> right? And so that's where a lot of the tension comes from. But there's also a bunch of racial tension as the white workers and the black workers are constantly at odds, and there's overt racism, and uh, so those things are constantly boiling over. And there's Indian attacks. Mm. And so it has really kind of all the all the elements you need to tell a pretty classic sort of Western story with revenge and all that going on. So you say it's Western. Yeah. I mean, is it really, really, really Western? Or is that just kind of the setting? <laughs> no, it's a Western. It sure is. I think so. Pretty classic in terms of. Just you've got the lone, the loner cowboy who's out for revenge, mm-hmm. finding the one who murdered my pa. Except <laughs> it's his, except it's his family, and uh, yeah. So there's all those sorts of tensions, and sometimes there's tensions between former uh, northern soldiers, and they find mm. out he's a former Confederate soldier. So that's got to be wrong. Yeah. So they've got all those sorts of tensions going. Have there been several seasons? Yeah, I believe there's six. Oh. And it took me a lot of months to watch the first season, you know, because I'm not just going to binge or anything like that, but uh, once in a while I catch an episode, and uh, they're available on Netflix is how I watched it. But I, there's a lot of things about the actual filming that I really like. They do a really good job, like, uh, it wasn't too long ago we talked about Les Mis. Uh-huh. And one of the things that we were impressed with was how good a job they did at making the the slums feel like slums yeah. and everything feeling kind of dirty and gross. And uh, a lot of that is true of Hell on Wheels. It's a tent city, but the tents maybe have floorboards. But... You know, when it rains, the mud just hangs around for Ever. weeks. And yeah. So there's a lot of mud, and it's all gross, and, and you can just about smell people walking around and sweat stains on everything. and uh, So there's a lot of that in terms of production 
stuff that I think is is pretty fun and and so a lot of the storytelling there is just kind of a classic western which you don't really see anymore. yeah you know it's kind of out of fashion yeah I was just gonna say it's not popular right right no it's not not a popular genre okay so that's kind of an introduction to what we've got going on and we'll take our little break and when we come back we'll subject hell on wheels to the meat grinder of the five point biblical covenant we'll see what kind of sausage comes out the other side <laughs> don't start laughing again <laughs> yeah here's our break the reconstructionist radio podcast network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. back we're talking about the amc original series available on netflix hell on wheels and we're going to run through the points of the five point biblical covenant in order to discern what sort of worldview is being preached to us and the first part first section of the biblical covenant covenant mm that's a Christian candy idea. <laughs> the covenants. <laughs> so the f uh, point one. <laughs> point one. <laughs> I have not been drinking. <laughs> point one is transcendence, and well, before you go on, yeah, you know, you're saying this is a little uh, shanty town, and I think, you know, just well. You think about these little settlements and establishments that go out. Of course, it's not based on a, a business venture like the railroad, but that there's usually a pastor guy around there. And I noticed in your description that there is no apparent pastor dude or anybody even picking up that mantle. Yeah, he's going to show up in just a second. Yeah. Oh, he's going to show up. And there is a pastor. Well, interesting. And he's a crazy one. They usually are. <laughs> <laughs> Something's got to be wrong if you're a pastor. <laughs> I do not take these remarks personally. <laughs> okay, so transcendence. And one of the ways we look for transcendence is to try to ask the question, uh, is we we think about theme. Is there an obvious theme, and does that point toward a transcendent power, or 
Is there overt talk of God? What sorts of things are done there? Who's the ultimate lawmaker or lawgiver? Authority, yeah. And uh, one thing that I like about Hell on Wheels is that I think they try to portray the world as it is. And the world as it is is God's world. You know, and so if they're just making a realistic world, it's going to wind up being the world that God made. And I think that's what they're seeking to do. Hmm. They don't, they do have explicit references to God. And I think what you do see, especially toward at the beginning of the season one and, and then again toward the end, you see especially Cullen Bohannon having to grapple with questions of guilt and damnation and sin and uh, what kind of duty he owes to God. Even questions of salvation come up. Now, like Joyce was asking about, there does come a preacher man into hell on wheels and he sets up a tent to be his church building. Mm-hmm. And toward the beginning of the series, he's very zealous and he's working for the kingdom of God. And he's even doing practical good things in terms of honestly trying to broker peace between the railroad and the Indians who want to uh, derail things. So how can this guy broker peace between the Indian savages in the... Well, just trying to stick in between them. He's actually made a convert from that Indian tribe. So one of the huh. recurring characters is Brother Joseph, who uh, has apparently come to Christ. And, and he's a real gentle sort of person. And he seems genuine, seems like he consciously has sought to leave behind the paganism that he was raised in and in favor of following Christ. So he really has some legit contacts. With, sure does seem like it. Yeah, yeah. With the Indian tribe. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. He's got... So course, maybe even respect? <laughs> grudging, because yeah. Brother Joseph is the son of the chief of the tribe oh, who no. is not happy to see his son leave. I imagine that's right. But at least when the pastor guy first gets there, he really does want to see the pastor or the, uh, not the pastor, the tribe. He would like to see them converted to Christ and mm-hmm. doesn't want to see them murdered and uh, really becomes very nervous when the railroad starts talking about maybe calling to see if the government will send out troops to protect them against the Indians. Because uh, mm. he knows that would work out to a slaughter. and Yeah. Okay, now the thing about this priest and the thing about... Priest or... The the pastor, sorry. So, he... There are a few times toward the beginning of the season where he purposely is trying to get a hold of Cullen Bohan and then call him to salvation. And... And some of the most interesting worldview stuff happens... In that now he doesn't, and I'm sure the writers probably wouldn't be able to do it if they wanted to. But the the preacher doesn't give a good gospel presentation, you know. And, mm. and this is Hollywood, yeah. But he is calling Cullen to 
come and turn from his wicked ways and receive forgiveness. And, and Cullen's answer at one point is he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And the reason he's not going to follow the pastor is because he knows in his own mind, he thinks it's ridiculous for him to have done the things that he he's done, which we don't know all of these things yet. Yeah. But for him to have done all these things and then to just be able to say sorry and and get it all washed away, he thinks that's a tremendous miscarriage of justice and and just doesn't make any sense to him. A little ridiculous. So he has kind of this innate understanding that if God is God, he must be a God of justice. And he doesn't understand how a God of justice could simply offer forgiveness freely. Yeah. And that's why he's rejecting what the pastor has to tell him. And <laughs> and there's more. If we had a bell to ring, I'd ring it right now. Ding, ding, ding. Here is where if I was a writer here, if I was in charge of doing this, I would have the pastor tell him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> you know, you you don't understand how you can be forgiven, and you know that justice demands that you be punished. You're not far from the kingdom of God. No. And then you could go into tell, telling him about the fact that it's not just that God is ignoring your crimes, but the fact that God has already made Punished. sure that the perfect payment has already happened for your crimes. Yeah. And it just seems to me that, I mean, find me somebody to witness to that knows that they're a sinner and, and feels the go that far. Yeah. of their condemnation. I feel like that's low hanging fruit. You know, that's yeah. somebody that's ready to receive the gospel, you know? Yeah. Nobody's not... a sinner now. <laughs> right, I'm that's... a good person. You know, <laughs> we never find a person that's crushed under the weight of their own sin. Yeah. I hear they're out there somewhere, but I've never huh. run into one, you know? Well, uh, maybe one time, maybe one time we live in the desert. So, <laughs> yeah. and so interesting worldview stuff going on there in that, the pastor is at least pointing to God and is trying to call people to salvation in Christ. And it sounds like they're doing at least a a fair representation of this pastor guy. No, he's a bit of an idiot. And, uh, too zealous. He has mm. more zeal than he has knowledge and, and probably a lot of hypocrisy in there too. And, as the first season wears on, he becomes more and more disillusioned as as things that he went there trying to do, he doesn't get any of them accomplished and 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 by the last episode of the series he's just about gone full blown crazy. Oh no. Yeah. So what happens then, the way this story arc concludes at the end of season one. Colin Bohannon has rebuffed all of his invitations to find forgiveness. And he doesn't want to talk to the preacher. But Cullen accidentally then kills a guy who he was pretty sure had something to do with his family's murder. But then he finds out the guy probably wasn't there. And so 
now he's feeling terrible about the fact that he murdered a man that wasn't guilty of that crime at least. <laughs> yeah, at least wasn't guilty of that crime. And so Cullen amazingly shows up inside the church sitting on one of the pews and he basically says, "Well, pastor, you've been well, preacher, you've been wanting to preach to me, so preach to me." Like he's ready to hear something real, you know. Yeah. But the preacher man has gone crazy. And he basically winds up saying, it doesn't make any difference to serve God. God can't help. And all that's left is for us to embrace our hatred. And mm-hmm. and so he's telling him, so that's what I'm, that's all I have to say to you is embrace your hatred. And and so Colin Bohan is looking at him out of the corner of his eyes and he's got this quizzical look on his face. You can tell. Yeah. But there's worldview stuff in there too because Colin Bohannon again innately knows well, that can't be right. That's, You're crazy, man. <laughs> that can't be the truth of the situation. Yeah. And then another time toward the end of the series, Cullen is victorious in a gun battle with a guy. And as the guy's laying there bleeding to death and he's dying and he can't speak, and Cullen stands over him. And uh, I think they have a short, maybe a short conversation. I forget what it was, but. Somehow Cullen began talking about would this dying man find peace once he was dead? And he said, yeah. he said, I hope there's a place for men like you and me to find peace. I really hope there is, but I don't know. And uh, I'm scared that there isn't or, or something yeah. like that, you know? And so kind of neat to have your main character actually struggling with some of those issues yeah it's a refreshing thing from just hollywood well but if they're treating this pastor guy like he's half crazy and yeah well he's he's all crazy now and educated and (laughs) yeah i don't know well but from what i have read that's probably not terribly unrealistic a lot of those frontier preachers, I know a lot of them were sincere, but a tremendous amount of those circuit riders and stuff like that went out with, like this guy did, with way more zeal than they had knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> you talk about the wild, wild west and the lawlessness, a lot of that was inside Christianity as well out there on the frontier. And, and, yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure that was terribly unrealistic in fact the listeners might be interested if you can find a book it's called bible in pocket gun in hand and it's a it's a kind of a historical retelling of well it's a compilation of a lot of stories from circuit riding frontier preachers and uh it's really pretty funny a lot of the stuff that happens Mm -hmm. just because of that because a lot of the time, these guys just don't know anything, you know. They're out there trying to do good, and I think genuinely trying to do good, but I, you need to be trained a little bit. I mm-hmm. think. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably so. Right. So, point two of the covenant is hierarchy and who represents transcendence. And I think, even though Colin Bohannon doesn't know God, and doesn't really know what to believe about God. I think theologically there's some reason for thinking that he's being drawn 
to God. Now, I don't know how that'll play out or anything like that, but in this first season, it's very interesting. And and so I think Cullen Bohannon probably represents whatever transcendent issue is going on. <laughs> okay, so point three of the biblical covenant is about ethics, and we generally like to ask the question, what sorts of moral dilemmas do our characters face? And we've really talked about one that was intriguing to me is Cullen Bohannon's spiritual struggles. But the overarching ethical quandary that he has is dealing with his desire for revenge. And biblically speaking, of course, we know the New Testament tells us that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and uh, we're supposed to give place to God. We don't take our own revenge. We let God take revenge. But in the law, in the uh, in the laws concerning the the uh, revenger of blood or the yeah the the blood avenger, there was such a thing as if back in the days of ancient Israel, there was such a thing, and it was provided for in the law, where if your family member was killed, uh, a member of the family, seems to me maybe you could hire somebody to go out and find the one that killed him and, and, and kill that guy. And that's why you had the cities of refuge where the man could go and flee until after the trial was over. And, you know, and then if he was caught outside the city, then the, then the blood avenger could go and, and strike him down. And and so there is some place in the law for vengeance with regard to murder happening. And uh, so it's kind of interesting. But I think what Bohannon is struggling with is the, is the struggle of, well, he's in pain with all the loss of his family and everything is very brutal and gruesome. And he's obviously in a lot of pain dealing with that. And, and one of the ways to deal with it is to strike out and, and try to get vengeance for himself. So that's a, that's a pretty obvious struggle that he's facing there. Another ethical dilemma though, is being faced by a former slave and I was going to remember his name, and I forgot it. They almost never use his name. But anyway, there's a former slave who's been emancipated since the war, and he's working for the railroad. Mm -hmm. And and kind of his issue is figuring out who he is. His, his dilemma is that in his life as a slave, and, and even since that time, his feeling is that men have had the power to tell him who and what he is. And so now he's got this newfound freedom. He's being paid and yeah. he's got his own, he's his money own boss. And, uh, and the struggle is to f figure out for himself who he is. And he gets to say now, and, and really I think the seeds are already there for that being a destructive thing. I think it has the potential to be a good thing. You know, if you're if you're if your mind is on Christ and you find your identity in Christ, that's good. But 
so far now it looks like they're kind of setting him up to just be a guy who kind of runs wild in the world, mm. sowing wild oats and figuring mm. out who he is supposedly. And so that's an interesting ethical dilemma there too. He doesn't want to have too many attachments. Doesn't want to have very many responsibilities. He's going to say what he does and what he doesn't do. And, so biblically speaking, he's kind of in danger of moving from actual slavery into a slavery of self-rule. And you know, Jesus said, "Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin." And and you can see this guy; he's uh, he's ready to just be his own boss. No, ain't nobody gonna tell him what to yeah. do anymore. You know? Well, that's the problem that we have: is that you are a slave, even if you you think, "No, I'm not a slave." I I decide where I work and I decide all these things, but um, you know you are. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're a slave to something. Yeah. And maybe you don't recognize that thing as being a a hard taskmaster, but yeah, you're a slave. You're right. Well, Dr. Gary North <laughs> makes that point in his economic commentary on uh, on Exodus and. I think the original title it had something to do with like uh, dominion religion versus power religion, and his commentary about the the plagues and the exodus itself, where he was setting up the religion of God versus the pagan religion of Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. I think what that's one of the points that he makes really strongly there is that the question really isn't slave or free. The only question is who is your slave master? Yeah. Who are you serving? <coughs> and so point four of the covenant so far is, uh, well, the covenant is sanctions. And so far in the, in the story, people are just getting set up to kind of receive <laughs> what's coming to them. Uh-oh. The only place where... Is it anything good? <laughs> <laughs> The only guy who's really started to get what's coming to him, and it and it was only a partial thing, was the Swede, the head of security. Yeah. He, uh, he, we find out he's taking protection money from all the business owners and stuff like that. He's quite a bully, mm. even though he acts like a gentleman and stuff okay. like that. And... At the end of the season, all the business owners and everybody get together and they actually tar and feather him. Oh, my. Yeah. Which is kind of nasty if you know what, it, yeah. what is happening there with the it's boiling retro, tar. And, yeah. Yeah. So he gets tarred and feathered. And my understanding is some people didn't, didn't even survive that. Yeah. Well, he survives. And uh, in the last scene that shows of him, you see the burns around his face and ears and, and all Whoa. that. And... Uh, that's hardcore, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. He got just enough of what's coming to him for him to decide he needs to really go after Bohannon now. And he hates him and wants to see him arrested. And so I think that's obviously what we're looking forward to is seeing, you know, there's six seasons and we're just in season one, but. Obviously, that's the question. Is Bohannon going to make sure that the people who murdered his family get what's coming to them? Uh, is he going to get what's coming to him for murder and vigilantism? Yeah. And 
What about the bad pastor? He's obviously descending into insanity and craziness, so obviously. he's kind of getting what's coming to him. And yeah. So we'll just have to see. But the real bad guys are the corrupt government. There was a senator who was taking payoffs and stuff like that. And huh. Imagine. Right. And the railroad guy, Mr. Durant, he kind of he doesn't do anything bad himself. He pays people to do that for him, and, <laughs> and uh, but he's as corrupt as they come. So he'll have it coming to him as well eventually. Right. And so, point five of the covenant is succession, and how is this going to continue? And the big question then concerning Bohannon is that now the marshals have come to hell on wheels because they've heard that he's there and that he's probably murdered people. And and right before they get there, he actually does murder that guy that he thought was the wrong no. guy. <laughs> turned out to be a bad thing. And and so Bohannon's going to so be So marshals are looking for him? Yeah. They're going to be on Bohannon's trail, it looks like. So is there some type of warrant or... Why yeah. are they looking for him? Uh, I think the Swede sent a telegraph or something and said, hey, these murders that you're trying to solve, I believe the guy that killed them is here. and uh -huh. Just send your guys. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll just have to see. The covenant continues. We're not sure how things are going to work out yet. But for me... I guess I'm more of a fan of the old Western than a lot of folks may be. Definitely more than you are, probably. Probably. I don't really do anything country. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason that I'm kind of attracted to the old Western stories is kind of what attracted me to professional wrestling when I was a younger guy. It's just uh, That's a strange connection. <laughs> well, the connection is this, that the... That the bad guys are bad guys, and the good Clearly guys are good guys, and, and there's not a lot of gray area. Yeah. And even when the bad guy does, or when the good guy does a heel turn, you see that coming for a long time. And So there's nobody, that, like you say, it's just no gray areas, and it's, it's easy to see the one side and the other side, and to root yeah. for the good guys, and, and uh, cheer when the bad guys get what's coming to them. And, and I think Westerns tend to kind of lend themselves to that yeah. or the way they have traditionally been written. There's no reason why you couldn't write a modern novel set in a frontier Western setting and have it be completely three-dimensional and complex and, you know, through character development and, and proper use of theme and plot and all that. So since I haven't seen this, is this... Uh... Is it pretty graphically violent, or is it not really so? I mean, like Vikings? It's not as bad as Vikings. <laughs> you know, or it's like, what? It's not as, it's not as gross as... <laughs> Walking Dead? The Walking Dead. But there are times, like, when the Indian hits the guy in the head with the tomahawk, you know, you can see the spray of blood splash up and stuff like that. And in the last scene, or the last the last episode of the series of the season 
it showed a guy getting scalped and it was uh and it was actually kind of down there close up view and so that was pretty gross but but i don't think it's as bad as some of these other things it's not on the level of i've never seen game of thrones but i hear it's incredibly violent uh, and uh it's not nearly like that well i just know they're kind of revisiting some of these genres and they're turning you know i think vikings is kind of a historical thing it's on the history channel but they've really like amped up the the gore and the violence yeah. and so you know i don't know if it's really story driven or if it's really the action so i was just curious as to how this rated and all I that i don't get that sense it is a it is a western and there are bad guys who need to die but there aren't like gunfights in every episode or anything like that. And there aren't people being killed all the time or dropping like flies. Yeah, no. So no. do they have a saloon tent? <laughs> they do. In fact, the, the, the one building that's halfway permanent is the saloon, which to me is probably pretty realistic, you know, probably on point. And the one behind that, that's, that's right with it is the brothel. Oh, yeah, yeah. They walk hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you can tell where the money's being concentrated and stuff like that. Yeah. So I guess my recommendation, I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty quality. It's, it's, so costuming and stuff, pretty, pretty yeah, solid. Yeah, the production the set, value so. is good. And I kind of like it. I like Chief O'Brien as a bad guy. He looks like he has potential as someone who's a little bit hardcore. <laughs> right. And I like the Swede. I think he's a he's an unusual guy for a Western. He's well, just... maybe I'll watch an episode with you. <laughs> he's got a couple of these country uh, things he's he watches. <laughs> Every once in a while. So anyway, I I do recommend it. I think it's pretty it's pretty decent. Yeah, that could change. You know, yeah. season one has some good qualities with the spiritual topics and stuff like that. But well, um, yeah, it's just at least something that somebody is exploring and and putting out there. You don't really see that in a lot of uh, episodic. Yeah, but you know, that can change, and it did change with The Walking Dead. It's been several weeks ago, but. Reagan and I podcasted about The Walking Dead, uh, and we—I think we had seen two seasons or something—and there was a lot of God talk in The Walking Dead early on, as yeah. people were questioning existence and yeah. why and how could this be? Does it matter if we pray? Is God really in control? And mm -hmm. and uh, after those first two seasons, there hasn't been anything like that, you know, and. Uh, so, but isn't that kind of, uh, I mean, if you just look at our culture, when anything tragic happens or some great big upheaval, then all of a sudden it's, well, you know, what about God? And yeah. and where is God? And what's going on? And does it really matter? Is anybody there? And then, you know, you give it some time yeah. and it just all turns back to normal. Well, this is normal now. Right after nine eleven, the Congress is singing "God Bless America," and yeah, everybody's in church for the next couple of Sundays. And, yeah, and, and now they're gone again. 
Yeah, that didn't last very long. Well, that's probably pretty realistic. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let my wife uh, recuperate. Recuperate. Hopefully no be more laughing. delivered from the consumption. <laughs> I got the consumption. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all be praying for you, Missy. Uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to y'all later. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. <laughs>